Welcome, reanimated fans, to this week's podcast. I'm H.A. Conrad, coming to you from Brooklyn. And joining me today, as always, is my intrepid co-host, Stuart Tiffin. Hey, what's up? And our intrepid, sometimes cameo <laughs> guest guest star, Kyle Diaz. Hello, Kyle. You know, I was just wondering if I was also going to get to be intrepid because I've always wanted to be described as intrepid. Well, so th- I just thank like you, the Hitcher. word. I like the word throwing it in there. And Kyle, <laughs> are you are you in Seattle or Portland? I am in Seattle. Seattle. All right. So got a lot of Pacific Northwest representation here. So, um, but today we are talking about the second episode of The Last of Us um, after our epic recap last week so so gain into the the next uh the next chapter of that but before we get to that we have a couple of little news items as as you'd imagine it's it's kind of flooded with cordyceps and last of us news right now but we we did find a couple of things one that is of course last of us related but uh Stuart, do you want to chat about that it's no surprise probably to people who've been looking at the internet uh, that the last of us is taking over uh, in force. And part of that is the announcement that dropped after this episode we're going to re- talk about today came out last weekend that they've greenlit season two. Uh, and, you know, no big surprise there. Uh, I, this is almost like an AMC move by, uh, you know, approving the next season of a show before it even airs. But at least they waited two ep- two episodes before <laughs> they did it on this one. I'm honestly surprised they waited that long. It It's sort of shocking to me, but if I can go on a brief tangential mini rant, um, you know, the if you follow like media news at all, then one of the things that you notice is that Warner Bros. Discovery is like a dumpster fire inside of a dumpster fire. Um, but one of their original sins back now years ago is that they completely destroyed the HBO brand name by making them have a channel called hbo inside of a streaming service called hbo max which has stuff that's not hbo in it including (laughs) other things called max originals that are also original programming and the end result of it is that i cannot figure out like what the fuck is on hbo anymore and it really makes me mad because for years hbo was like the best brand in all of television and you knew that if something was on hbo that it was going to be good and it was going to be like a certain like style and tone and all that stuff and so i just get so frustrated like you know this tweet says the last of us will return for another series on hbo max and i'm like it is this is this an an, a quote-unquote hbo show like the the nomenclature that they have settled on for this stuff drives me absolutely bananas and i saw someone talking (laughs) the other day about how good of of a um hbo show peacemaker is and i'm like that's not an hbo show that's a max original and it's just it's uh, really dumb. I think it's a very, very <laughs> poor branding decision, and it drives me insane. So okay. rant, rant ended. I mean, I don't disagree. I don't think that I've taken it as personally as you might have. <laughs> but, um, like when, when HBO came out with HBO Go, and then within like, I don't know, six months, it was HBO Max or Next yeah. or some other word. It's mm-hmm. like, I come on, man. Like, I've just signed up for one of these things. Do we have to change the name? <laughs> uh, I so I do, I do agree that they've had some trouble finding their identity or at least making what it clear what it is. But at the, at the end of the day, I still kind of attribute if there's something on HBO Max or HBO and I can't tell the difference, I generally think it's going to be good quality because HBO invented prestige TV, basically. Well, And that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to basically have all the rest of their originals draft off of, you know, the HBO brand name 
yeah without actually having to be part of the like production and content team at a like not fall under essentially like the president i forget the guy's name like the president of hbo's purview and and have it be its own group um and then it turns out that i think they fired most of the people in that group recently in one of their more recent round of layoffs so they may have done all of this to like produce like five shows and then just completely fold so yeah anyway i'll take a deep breath and settle down <laughs> it's gonna be okay we're gonna get through this <laughs> we're gonna get through this the last of us for the record is an hbo original program copy that like I like game never, of thrones and deadwood and all the rest of the great again. you know greatest tv shows the last 30 years uh, something that might not make it past its own uh, errors is this uh, video game the day before which i've spoken about before on the show it was a uh, purported to be an open world mmo zombie apocalypse show for a year it was the most wishlisted game on steam which probably means you know hundreds of thousands of people had said yes i'm interested in this game to buy it they never opened it up for uh early uh pre-orders or anything like that it was never a kickstarter so it was difficult to see how they were making money off of this hype but they just got delisted off of steam last week or earlier this week um, and then the day after they were delisted, which is a huge deal, uh, cause they were supposed to come out and it was supposed to <laughs> come out in March. Um, they said, oh, you know what? Trademark issues, uh, we'll be back in November now is our new launch date. They were also just about to uh, launch gameplay video, but, uh, nobody's seen real gameplay video and all the videos that they've released are super slick, look great, look a lot like division two, a different video game. Uh, but it's just been raising a lot of questions recently. And so now nobody really thinks this is a real thing, um, which is a shame. I was excited about this video game because it looks like Division 2, which is a good looking game, uh, but it had zombies and it was an MMO with an open world. Like what What wouldn't you enjoy about that? Oh, I guess the fact that it's not real. That That's the part that you can't enjoy. So that was uh, the other news that dropped this week that was a little bit disappointing. Mm. I don't think anybody really thinks they're going to come out in November. Yeah. I also have some disappointment, which is after watching Lockwood and co, I was very sad, oh. <laughs> but, but it's getting good reviews. Like apparently people are really enjoying it. So maybe if they, I guess I just have to, 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 you know, separate my feelings about the book series and the show. And I can say, I think it's fine as a series if you had never read the books, but I feel like it missed the mark in terms of the tone and the snarkiness and the good writing. Um, but, you know, it's it's semi-entertaining, but it's not what I was hoping it would be. So, oh, well. So it'll probably get canceled after one season? I don't reckon? know, though, because it's getting a lot of really good reviews. Um, and so, you know, and it's definitely targeted towards like a very specific audience, which is not me. Um, so I think maybe it might it might make it to a second season. We could see. Hmm. We could see. Um, you know, and then we also had a really s silly, ridiculous listicle that we found in Collider, um, which is a, a list of the best zombie animals, which I just thought was really funny. <laughs> There are so, some unexpected animals in there. Right. The uh, poodle, so for instance. The poodle is really, and the poultry geist. Um, but of course, the tiger from Ar Army of the Dead is 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 right up there, which makes sense. And Church from Pet Cemetery and things like that. Um, there's a couple of reaches here. I just thought the zombie deer from Train to Busan, you and I are in agreement, Stuart. That's a little bit of a reach, no? Yeah, it, it was barely on the screen. Right. Uh, yeah. Zombie Zombievers, of course, is also pretty high up there. 
Yeah. Um, but that's just a ridiculous little throwaway. So um in any last case week, last week regarding Lockwood and Co., we kind of talked about the special effects looking a little cheap. Yeah, and they did. Um, that's I think one of the and and I mean maybe that's what they're going for. I don't know. It may be a saving grace for a season two of the show though, because um the more expensive a show is, the higher the bar is for renewal. True. Um, as a big fan of the uh, Sandman series of comic books, and also yeah. I did quite enjoy the TV show. They really kept everyone in suspense about whether that would be renewed, even as it was incredibly popular. I know. Um, and lots and lots of people were watching just because it was an insanely expensive show to make. And it didn't yeah. even look spectacular. It just looked like pretty good. So, I don't I don't know what they spent on this, but they definitely spent a lot on location because they were hmm. definitely in London and there was like Kensal Cemetery and Kensal Green Cemetery and things like that. Like there were there were certainly not inexpensive things going on here. So I, certainly the effects were not as much, but like I'm not I still think that there was a pretty high number associated with this, which I have I have been unable to find thus far. But, you know, hopefully the maybe maybe it isn't as expensive it's certainly not at the sandman level in terms of the expense <laughs> that they 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 sort of shelled out for this but um but in any case um all right i'll get over my disappointment someday but it's all right um anyway do you want to get into our oh and then this one last thing did you want to talk about that or did you not want to spoil it for people oh the well hbo max original uh has been putting out <laughs> now i'm now i'm confused kyle now has been putting out a series of videos um and and they linked to it from their twitter feed and they had a little clip there where bella ramsey and pedro pascal were were talking it's like get to know these two uh, you know cast members and um they're like talking about which of their props from uh, game of thrones would they would they have brought for their character to like help them survive in the last of us and Pedro Pascal is kind of a goof. And he was like, oh, definitely Oberyn's like mustard colored robe would be the one that he would bring. <laughs> and then he kind of just cracked himself up and talked about how he would be like sashaying through the through the last of us. <laughs> twirling, uh, <laughs> twirling his robe around. Because and, and Bella Ramsey's like, yeah, that's that wouldn't help you in the zombie apocalypse. She's like, I would have brought my armor for Lady Mormont. And he's like, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Uh, well, you could protect me while I'm, you know, swishing through the zombies. <laughs> Either way, it was very funny. Uh, it's like part of a five minute interview. So I, I recommend you go have a look at it. It's those are always yeah, fun to watch. And I have seen a couple with the two of them and they're pretty cute. Like they, they definitely have a good rapport. It totally makes sense that, you know, they have the rapport on screen too, even when they're having conflicts. So um they're kind of a delightful little duo yeah it's cool to see that he's 30 years older than her and they just kind of they have a vibe of like you know um i don't know collegial all right but can we talk about you know this sort of um i don't know not not i guess like this role that that pedro pascal keeps getting into i mean i don't know if you both actually watched Prospect, but there he's shepherding a young woman who he does not have any relation to through some sort of alien environment. Also, in, also in a, a dubious a character of dubious morality, and you're kind of worried Correct. at any moment whether he yeah. has this child's like best what's going to happen. Then Mandalorian, he's shepherding uh, reluctantly again a little weird alien through an yeah. alien uh, hostile environment, and he has like definite. <laughs> 
conflicting feelings about it, though he seems to grow into those. And now we have The Last of Us. I mean, I just think he's been growing into this role for a while. So um, this, maybe this is just his thing. This video did really make me want a for somebody to cast him in something like lighthearted and comedic because he right. he he is typecast as this kind of like gruff you know stoic right. uh, character a lot like um even his character in narcos is is kind of in that same vein and certainly prospect and and last of us have a lot of the in unbearable uh the what was it the unbearable the thing we he did in the cage he was pretty lighthearted in that oh the i don't i don't terrible see that, weight but... of massive talent or whatever mm -hmm. it was yeah did you I, see? He's just such a goof. I, I've, I've not seen that, but he's such a goofball in real life that I just want somebody to take advantage of that someday and cast him think, in like a stoner comedy or something like well, that. Well, I think they, they definitely did in that film. So I, I encourage you to check it out. Okay. Um, and I also, I think I told you both, I saw him at uh, summer in uh, pro the um, Central Park um, uh, Shakespeare. He did, he was, this is just after I think he was, or maybe it was in the middle of Game of Thrones, but he was in Much Ado About Nothing, and he was a very, you know, goofy, he he played up his character in an incredibly goofy way, um, and he was awesome. And so I, I agree with you. I would like to see him in some kind of a silly, ridiculous thing. It'd be kind of fun. I mean, so. he just hosted or is about to host SNL. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I have not yet. Which, it was last um, night, yes? If, if It was either last night or a week ago. I, I remember I seeing it last night. about it. I don't know uh, how he did. I've kind of... I never watched that show anymore, but um, it kind of also feels like where funny people go to not be as funny as they as they could potentially <laughs> be. Uh, well, so maybe he got to be delightful there. Um, but uh, we we can start to talk about the episode Infected, uh, if you guys are ready. Sure. Um, this was actually directed by Neil Druckmann, the other half of the uh, Craig Mazin, Neil Druckmann Wonder Team, uh, written by Craig Mazin. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. And this was Neil Druckmann's first episode of television that he's ever directed. Uh, and he talked about some of the, the way that that went uh, on the podcast on the HBO Max original podcast about the show. And um, that was kind of an interesting little, you know, way to listen to because he was like a noob doing it. But he had Craig there to help him. And Craig has, has directed a few episodes of TV. Right. Um, and one of the interesting little tidbits that they dropped was like, the biggest piece of advice I gave Neil says Craig was like not to yell cut right away. Like just give it a, give it a few heartbeats and see what the actors do next. Um, which I thought was kind of cool. Like it must be just pure chaos on a, right. on a set like that. Stuart, I'm begging you. It's an HBO original. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, whatever you say, man, there's no Max involved. Even, honestly, I don't even know what to think anymore. Kyle, you've just totally, you know, <laughs> I just kind of have been rolling with it. I haven't put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, I thought it was weird, but now it's just now in my head and I don't know what to say. HBO originals and Max originals and then other stuff from TV, you know, from other channels. Like it's all put onto the HBO Max app and this is an HBO original. It's not a Max original. It only matters to me, but it matters. Is it is it short for <laughs> Cinemax? <laughs> You know what this feels like? Have you seen the Papyrus SNL skit with Ryan? Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> that, is, that is what this is reminding me of. Just saying. I know what you did. Uh, anyway. So, anywho, that's who wrote this episode. It's called Infected. 
we start with another cold open. I have a feeling this show is going to be spitting hot fire with its cold opens. What do you th- what do you guys think of it? I liked it. I mean, this one I was think so good. This one was so good and perfect and there's so many things about it to like. Um and, you know, the the main actor, the main focus of this, uh, who plays Dr. Ratna, uh, Christine Hakim, I believe, um, is just note perfect in terms of how she's playing this and how it all rolls out. Um, so, you know, this is supposed to be in Jakarta. And this is, the, again, the flashback of when it was September 26, 2003. So it's when all of this is is unfolding. And... The thing that I really liked about this is that, you know, that gives you a little bit of background. You see a little city street scene. You see her eating her lunch, but you don't quite know what's happening. And she gets taken out by military. And while she is on whatever, like, it's very mysterious. Like, she's on her way to to go wherever it is. And she thinks, she's like, have I done something wrong? <laughs> and it's like this terrifying moment because it could be a possibility. And they're like, oh, no, no, you're just speak, you know, aren't you the the preeminent or whatever, like expert in, in mycology? And, you know, it just kind of goes from there. But there's a tension there even before she's getting to the lab because the military have basically pulled her from her lunch. Um, I don't know. I just and I also thought that the cinematography here was really great. Um, the shots between her, like the the sort of shots of her face and taking in the information and her reactions are just amazing throughout this entire episode. Totally agree. I, I think that they um, kind of almost play up the hyper realism in a way of like yeah. these flashback scenes because the modern day world is kind of like uh, lower contrast and kind of drab and gray. And then these have these like vibrant yellow Colors. and um, like the, everything like the set design and the the cinematography is working together to kind of scream like this is different than Right. like a different setting than the rest of the show in it. And it just even really, seeing the, really good. yeah. And even seeing like the people on the streets and, you know, driving around, like just the huge contrast is quite deliberate and really uh, just well-played, well-played gentlemen. That's all There's, I have, to say. <laughs> have. Have you guys been reading this, like a little bit of a discourse bouncing around right now about like basically why many Netflix originals look so bad? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I have not seen it. Oh, it, it's an interesting series of articles. I'll send them to you guys. But there's there's a couple of folks right now who are um, basically publishing things on why so many Netflix shows kind of look all the same, like very flat, kind of um, oversaturated uh, lighting. Like some folks are comparing it to like a, a Instagram filter or something like that. Um, and it turns out that Netflix has a really strict kind of like creative uh or sorry, technical limitations that it imposes on its creatives where they basically say like, you have to shoot in this format for this camera in 4k, like uh, lighting has to be good because people might be watching this stuff on like their phones or whatever. Um, And Netflix wants it to look good. And HBO doesn't do that, which is sometimes bad because every once in a while you get like a game of Thrones episode where no one can see (laughs) what the heck is going on on screen. Yeah. Um, But I do think that it means that there's like more, visual variability in these shows and, and the ability for them to do something like this, which which has a very different visual look. So it, it's an interesting contrast to I, stuff like Lockwood and Co and Sandman that's coming out on Netflix that has, um, I think, a little bit more trouble establishing a visual style. Right. I haven't, I haven't um, heard about that, but that's uh, it could definitely be uh, argued, um, especially. Yeah. 
and I agree with the like the oversaturation when I'm thinking of extraction mm -hmm. and just how bright and blown out everything looks, but it's still an amazingly technically uh, flawless action movie, you know, uh, right. so so beautiful. I can't wait for the second one to come out this year. Uh, I do want to just throw a shout out for this cold open being all in Indonesian. Um, I think that. Oh, yeah, that's know, the other part that was just awesome. Yeah, the focus on on doing doing content in original languages uh, is just it's like a, a a touch of authenticity that was lacking previously in a lot of what we are um, consuming, and so I just love to see it. And uh, and you know, shout out to the mycelium for showing up, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which <laughs> and they you know they've they've come out and said like yeah we're doing mycelium not spores um, by now and AJ you were, were already kind of latched you you kind of knew that this was coming I was not really sure about that last time. Uh, but in, in the podcast, they also talked about how spores work okay in the game, but they're in reality, they're everywhere. In the game, they kind of show up these like yellow clouds that you can visually uh, avoid or put a mask on and, and walk through. So they those are getting dropped in favor of the mycelium, these tendrils. And um, right. when she pulls that clump of tendrils out of the cadaver's mouth and they start to reach for her face and she freaks out, really good scene right it, probably not as impactful as her tea drinking scene after this but... oh yeah but but it all leads into it and also yeah. just even the setup before this you know they bring her into the lab they're very they're very much like hey take a look at this because they i think they want to establish what she thinks before like tainting her with their thoughts on it um right. which clearly they already know a little bit of it but not all of it or they don't i think they're hoping that it isn't as dire as maybe they suspect it is and just her looking at the slide and then like she's like okay whatever it's cordyceps but why is it prepared this way like that whole setup that it came from a human subject and then leading her to see the person that had been infected and then to the tea drinking scene which is just honestly a phenomenal there's so much good thing there's so many good things about this scene and the um sort of the build-up and the I don't want to say setting the table, but kind of setting the table for how dire the whole situation is, mm -hmm. that there is no real solution, even though we're all very logical people. And she's like the most logical person. You know what I mean? Like she's clearly an expert in her field and she's just very generally very calmly. But the whole thing with the tea, like where her hand is shaking, it's like oh, just so great. I don't know. I really just thought this was perfect. Perfect. I do have one last observation about this cold open which would be that typically like this is a very thoughtful approach by the indonesian government in a way like they're they know exactly that it was like 30 hours since this subject was bitten uh they haven't just made a complete mess of it right they haven't like all infected their lab and everybody's like infected and running around in zombies which is what you would get in so many other uh versions of this story that we've seen before where they're uh they like bring in a you know someone to the morgue uh, they, they died under strange circumstances but now they're just like rising up and killing everybody in the hospital in the coroner's office in this case they they put it down correctly they've started their investigation they like maybe just took a blood sample because it's not like it hasn't been autopsied so which would have been maybe worse for everybody yep. there right they just took maybe a blood sample saw that it was fungus went and found the mycologist and like they're going to this very in like a smart way it feels like even though they're not going to win necessarily but right i just appreciated that they made them look like they were handling this in a smart way that was that was a right i also Generally, i mean it's oh go ahead kyle 
I was just going to say, I totally agree. And I, and I love that, you know, I think that um, there's kind of a movie trope of essentially uh, people in those style of uniforms typically being the bad guys, like those kind of like trim, you know, Southeastern Asian uniforms have like kind of just an, like a menacing connotation. And indeed, when they come and get her from the restaurants, she is menaced and she's, right. uh, you know, scared while she's in the cab because she doesn't know. Why? What, you know, if she's headed for some sort of extrajudicial setup or something. Um, but in reality, the colonel or general or whoever the guy in charge is, is um, kind of searching for the compassionate solution here and trying to, you know, figure out and wrap his mind around what is going on. And, you know, it's it's really the mycologist who's like, you have to kill everybody. Like, <laughs> Well, and how quickly she gets to that point. I mean, she's just... You know, we see her hand, her hand shaking and she just asks for the she asks for the the information about how it all happened, how the so like how the woman, the body was there and just sort of the surrounding things. And the minute she has the information, she's like, hey, look, this isn't you know, there is no cure. There's no vaccine. You just got to bomb everything. <laughs> and it's just so fast, fast, but also concrete. Like she is unwavering in what she thinks. Um and she also puts the weight of her career behind it. She's like, I have been studying these things and this is what I'm telling you because the minute she finds out that they have not contained it, they do not know where um, these other people who are potentially infected and likely infected might be. She was like, we don't have a choice here. And then she's like, I, I also want to go home and spend some time with my family. Yeah, <laughs> and it's that's just like the scariest thing she and says. It's, <laughs> and it's so scary, but matter of fact, and it's really just incredibly well done. And I also think that before this, when, when she's in the room and, you know, in the whole, you know, her whole, the whole outfit she's wearing so to so as not to be effect, infected and the he, the girl is like talking to her he's already scared he's like you can you can see that he's hoping she's going to tell him something else and then when she sees what the reality is um like there's already a fear and attention there with him and he he kind of knows the truth but doesn't want to know what it's going to be and so that was just a really nice lead into the tea scene um so again, I just thought this was a perfect, a perfect scene to sort of put put everything in place before then we cut into what it would be the modern day that we had and, left the last. And it doesn't work unless she just completely knocks it out of the park, which she does. Right, and so, she does yeah. totally. Well, well they've done. Set a very this high point. bar for their cold opens. We'll have to see how they do going forward. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, our next scene. Uh, after the credits, I believe, is of um, Ellie waking up on this, like, you know, idyllic bed of moss, which when you think of the mycelium stuff, isn't that a little mm -hmm. scary? Do people yes. sleep on moss, uh, especially the way we see it kind of appear at the end of this episode? Yep. Um, she, of course, is probably fine, but I wonder if that's a, a, an infection vector or if it's just uh, an information superhighway. Oh, I see. Oh, you, you mean because the cordyceps could be underground and they, they yeah. could be poking. I was like, uh, moss is not a fungus to it. But no, I know, but you see it come out of a moss bed at the I very understand. end of the episode. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was kind of where my, my thinking was. But I well, and it's it also and it's also watching her being so like cozy in the moss is a little like mm, and yeah. then and it is a little bit funny because she wakes up and they're both uh, <laughs> both. That's definitely for a fact. Joel, Joel and Tess are just like staring at her from the perimeter, like, "What the heck are you?" And it's it's just a really funny little scene the way it is shot. 
So. My only note for the scene though is sandwich. Uh, because they turn my whole evil sandwich concept on its head and have Ella have this amazing sandwich while they're eating very dry looking. Turkey. I know. I like how they offer to share and she's like, eh, I got my own sandwich. It's all good. Ellie's is, is that like... real chicken? And that, yeah, like I, she gets, you know, Marlene said she gets gets it from smugglers, but I guess not you guys. <laughs> I love that line. I know. It's it really you. good. Yeah. I do um, wonder, yeah. you know, we we we've touched on it a little bit and it comes into play later, but this whole mechanism where, you know, the cordyceps infection can um you know, send these tendrils up and kind of spy on you from afar based on, you know, what you're stepping on and stuff like that. That That's completely different than how this works in the game, obviously. And that kind of centralized consciousness of the uh, fungus is, is just not there. But it seems, it seems a little OP. Like it seems... <laughs> It seems very, very powerful. Spores and, are and, more OP than this, though, in a way. Like maybe, I guess. But the other thing is that I, I guess there's like you can tell if the fungus is like dried out or something. Because at some points in this episode, like when they're heading into the museum, they're like stepping all over some fungus. And so, like, how do you know? You know, when Joe kind of looks at that fungus and pokes it, and it crumbles. I don't know. I, I just, I, I kind of wonder how they're going to do this. But I, may, I worry that they have introduced a mechanic that's going to actually cause them some problems down the line i guess we'll see i mean if he had poked it and it had a gooey center would they just fed to run away yeah like run away well, as yeah. they... <laughs> I, well hey we're on the same page because i thought the same exact thing like if there's no other mechanism to test this and you're just kind of randomly doing it and i think it was even more so as we see down the line how quickly they they can share that information and she even talks about it i mean tess is talking about it to ellie um in this episode about how that works and basically saying, you know, you could wake up a whole little community miles away and they know exactly where you are and they're going to come and get you. Um, so the way that I don't want to say that he's cavalier, but he's just like, all right, I'm, this is dry as a bone. And he's just like crushing it. I'm like, but there has to be a better way to know. Well, <laughs> I don't and then know. What, so are the live, I guess the live like clickers, for example, inside the museum are mm -hmm. not connected to that fungal highway all the time because Maybe. you know obviously they're like shooting those guys and stabbing them and running away from them and stuff like that and as far as i can tell no posse is being awoken you know yeah. somewhere far away so i i just i'm i'm not really clear on the rules of how this works yet I, and i think i think we're all on the same page here like right um what what fungus can talk to fungus really far away and what fungus can you shoot in the face? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. And I mean, they as they're walking through what is supposed to be the streets of Cambridge slash Boston, you know, they talk a little, Ellie's talking a little bit about, you know, um, how she came to be bitten. But then Tess is giving her a bit of a primer about, and that's how she talks about the networks and things like that, um, just about what some of the rules of the world are. But it's still not totally unclear. And um I do like the the foreshadowing when they are in this conversation about the clickers because you you kind of hear them from far away in this scene. Yeah, I thought these um, were good. These were I like these street walking scenes where they're yeah. they they don't seem that stressed out. They're just talking. They're like, yeah, life out here is not what you thought it was. Um, the right. there was a line about like this looks like some sort of you know effed up moon. Uh, right. is this where they bombed, and so it's like a, right away you're getting that like feedback from the cold right. open about the bombing. Uh, which I thought was really cool. And, and Ellie or Tess is like, yeah, sometimes it worked in some places, but not everywhere. And she said it worked there. So it's like, you know, and, and just watching them, I will say, I know that they had some issue with, 
you know, shooting and stuff. So obviously because of COVID and all that, they had to limit where they were shooting and they were shooting up in, in Canada. And so I will say as a person who lived in Boston for many years, uh, this does not resonate to me as Boston, except for a couple of scenes that like you could obviously tell it was like Fanel Hall and um, obviously the, the, uh, you know, the state house Capitol building thing. Um, and but overall, this didn't feel like Boston to me, I, although I think you could probably just say, oh, whatever the city is just run down and all that. And they did a good job with that. But just in them walking around sort of the visuals, I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting that they couldn't sort of backfill that. But that has to do with, I guess that would be but probably pretty expensive. What landmarks yeah. would you have wanted to see? Because I'm trying to think I, I lived in Boston for a, a meager four years. I have no recollection of its uh, skyline at all. I, I do. And it's like like the I would say the Prudential Building, the Hancock Tower, are two big ones. They do have like the main clock tower, which is like downtown near Fennel Hall. And they do have a little shot of that. So that was put in um, and a couple of those sort of like falling over you know, apartment buildings and Fennel Hall is clearly Fennel Hall. Um, but I just felt like, you know, those sort of the layout when you're walking where they're walking from and into Boston does not look like the Charles River to me, even though they're trying kind of hard and they're trying to like do that. But mm -hmm. I don't know, just didn't quite click it with me. But for most people, I'm sure they don't care. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. <laughs> As someone who is not that familiar with Boston, uh, my main my main sense of Boston is that it has a lot of really hellish freeways around the outside of it. And so they did. <laughs> the, they did have that. They, they did do have that. that. Uh, they're, they're walking down the freeways that the, I was like, oh, yeah, that looks like a place where there would have been a lot of traffic. That but I overall, if we're talking about a post-apocalyptic thing and, you know, a, like a city, this is, you know, this does the job. And then I also like that Ellie is, you know, with these conversations because she's like, oh, it's not so bad out here because she thought it was just like a bunch of infected rain around you um, just like so dangerous or whatever. And it's just empty. And, you know, they're like, well, yeah, like a little bit. But then there's also definitely risks. And they're even That's talking about like how carefully they have to go short way versus long way. Um, and we see a little bit of why as we get into this. Um, and it's not easy and it's definitely a dangerous, um, this is a dangerous um, little trip they're taking here. And it and it's uh, when they do finally run into those infected, they're not in any shortage uh, either in the museum. Well, where there it's really a bunch of dead ones in those two clickers and then in the street, uh, you see hundreds in the game uh, equivalent of these scenes. It's a lot of alleys and climbing up and down off of roofs. And um, but there are a lot more zombies uh, because it's clear that there's a lot of fresh ones. Uh, it seems like Fedra has been sending people out into the city. Mm -hmm. You get that from like notes and stuff you're picking up where the it's clear that Fedra like sends out patrols to try. And, I don't know if they're clearing the city or. Uh, I don't know if you recall those scenes, Kyle, but there there's like a lot of zombies and a lot of them are in Fedra uniforms and they're they're not clickers. They're the runners, I think they're called when they're fresh. Yeah, the new ones. So, Stuart, are you playing the game like are you watching the the show first and then catching up on the game? Like what's your like back and forth like here between because because you're doing this much, you know, I haven't played the game in a good six years or something like that. But, um, you know, you're doing this kind of like in real time. How How are you? How are you handling the the pacing of the two things simultaneously? Yeah, this. So I I played this part of the game after watching the episode, 
Okay. Um, the but then I played through <laughs> the uh the final scene of this episode up to where, um, I imagine next episode we're gonna meet Bill. I don't know if we are, but uh, I've met Bill in the game, so I, I don't know um how far ahead I've gotten by accident. Based, but based it's, it's on the game. trailer, based on the sort of sneak preview, I'd say you're gonna meet Bill in the next yeah, one. Yeah, but, and frankly, uh, the, they've been hyping up Ron Swanson a lot. <laughs> the the Nick Offerman Bill uh, equivalency is pretty high. Like they do, a, the dude in the game kind of looks like him. Although he also looks like uh, Matthew Barry. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys are familiar <laughs> with that British actor. He doesn't sound like him at all, though. Um, so it, yeah, the game continues to be a lot of fun. It's very different. Like there's they, you spend a ton of time just like navigating spaces, which this this the show clearly still spends that time with exposition and character development and. Um, and moving down these probably like green screen sets. I imagine they spent most of this on a green screen because you can't just actually find a city that looks like this. Right. And then also, I mean, they are still like, they're still giving fans certain things. And so again, I have not, you know, I'm not a gamer. Um, I did at one point try to play this game unsuccessfully, <laughs> but um you know, it's, but I I do know that especially looking at some of the things that they're doing, um, and one thing in particular that they do here, which is kind of funny, um, and you know, hilarious. The swimming thing is funny. Uh, uh yeah. The, well, I would say just a note about like survival behavior is you really shouldn't try to just walk into water and get your clothes no. wet. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about their socks. I was like, I yep. don't think you want to get your socks wet. You're going to well, be sleeping in these clothes. Like, they're yeah. not lighting fires at night, as far as I can tell. They're all going to get hypothermia. Like, uh -huh. But, you know, I guess, you know, for the purposes of storytelling, we can make it okay. But, you know, that's that's no, not agree. smart. And they just do well, it so it's nonchalantly. Also, it's that stuff, but also just you don't know what's in the water. I mean, I like I'm having stress just in general i mean obviously they know that hotel fairly well or it seems like they do but you can't see clearly into that water all you can see is like nothing and i don't know it just feels like there's a lot of there could be a lot of hazards there regardless so um you know but they do make fun of the fact that ellie says she can't swim which i guess is a piece of the game that you have to like do some things to get her across right yeah, I think that comes after the Faneuil Hall scene, but um, they go into the subway, at least in the game. On that, on that hypothermia note, Stuart, this may be like a TMI, uh, you know, conversation, but um, I have a two-year-old daughter who recently decided that she was <laughs> uh, just really fed up with wearing anything on her body at nighttime. <laughs> so one morning, you know, we walked into her room and found that at some point in the middle of the night, she'd taken off her uh, pajamas and her diaper and then peed all over herself and was basically like soaking wet in her own pee, like in the in her <laughs> crib. And she like we were like legitimately concerned that she was hypothermic. She was so cold and she was like oh. shivering. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is going to be like the dumbest thing ever if we have to take our baby to the ER because she basically spent the night a little bit damp in a you know <laughs> 68 degree room with that's that's completely heated so yeah i think if you're outside at all it doesn't really matter you know unless it's like the height of summer when it's like 85 degrees at night you're gonna have a really yeah. bad time if the well, entire lower half of your body is soaking right yeah. i mean if you've ever seen survivor man with les stroud which is like 
there's funny things about it but one of the things he always like it's like every single episode he he's like you got to be really careful that you don't sweat too much hypothermia man or whatever <laughs> and, <laughs> I, love like, Stroud. He's I love him too and it's like you know he's just like oh didn't find something tonight i guess i'm gonna drink some pine needle tea mm. um, <laughs> here's but, a nice fat grub i'm gonna eat yeah but even just you know these like he's somebody who you know this was the thing he did um and you would imagine that at least joel and and tess understand these things maybe not ellie as much because we don't know exactly how great the federal training has been but joel and, and joel and tess probably know that these are things that shouldn't be going on just saying it seems I, a little I bit i think this like, is a little hand wavy for yeah yeah because it's also in the game you just you just willy-nilly walk through water all yeah. the time Especially like, I think that's the first thing you do when you leave the QZ is jump into a big pool of water. Uh, but uh, can we also talk about how when, you know, we, we sort of like shift into these scenes after they do that, they look pretty much dry. So oh, yeah. there's they, that too. And they just, they get out of that pool and then climb 10, st- 10 stories. Right. I and do I enjoy like Tess's Tess was, comment. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but she's like, you tried doing that on our knees. Uh, that was, I, was like, I, I feel seen. Um, uh, and then there's some awkward like they're doing a good job here uh, when they're waiting for Tess to open that door and it's Joel and Ellie and it's awkward as, you know, as hell. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just like, they don't have anything to say to each other. She's asking the wrong questions. Um, but they, they do get to do a little exposition on the lifespan of the infected. And he's like, most of them only last a month or two, but some of them apparently have lasted the entire um, apocalypse, 20 years, he says. And I don't know what those are or are those like treants at this point <laughs> what, what are we looking know. at um tree beard uh so but yeah i like the fact that they're still they're still super unfriendly with each other even though they're destined to be best friends well, well and they do set up the whole you know ellie and and tess definitely have a different rapport uh ellie clearly is in admiration of tess and tess says some like very you know there's some tough like good compliments her way just about you know ellie says oh i got in the mall and i was there by myself although it was she um but tess is just like oh that was like pretty badass or whatever she says and you can see that ellie is like okay this is like somebody i kind of look up to and you also sense that ellie had a bit of that rapport with marlene Mm -hmm. and the contrast between her relationship with joel is is you know it's night and day um and also, he's super suspicious and scared, a little scared of her, right? Like, he doesn't really want to be alone with her. He doesn't really want her touching him. He just doesn't know what to think about her. He does not trust her. So despite the the fatherly instincts that were kind of like, un, you know, sort of triggered when he was protecting her, that wasn't about her, obviously. But um, we don't, this tension between them is is palpable. And I think that they played up pretty well. Well, and one of the main threads of this episode is basically Tess becoming convinced that there's hope and redemption in saving Ellie. Like, basically, you know, there were some conversations in the beginning when they were still back at wherever they spent the night um, where they, you know, she and um, Tess and Joel were kind of debating this. And then it, it continues to be a running thread throughout to the end of the episode. Um, I will say that one thing that I, I'm not quite sure that they've done for me is they are being very coy and mysterious about um, Joel and Tess's uh, experiences during the 20 years since the um, mm. outbreak. Yeah. And 
I think the impression that you're supposed to get is like, oh, these guys are like total badasses and also that they had to make some very morally dubious, you know, mm. decisions and they're still carrying the weight of those choices and maybe things that they did that were wrong or that they, you know, feel tremendous guilt over. And and I'm not quite getting that from the writing and performances here. Like I I never really f- have felt throughout the last episode and a half like there's any chance that these two people are not going to protect this child. So um, it's fine. It's not a big deal, but I don't, I think they were kind of like, uh, you know, um, relying on this to do a little bit more than it's doing in terms of, of carrying that. um, Uh, that I don't, I don't know that I totally agree. I think they're keeping it shrouded in mystery a little bit. And maybe if you had a bit more information, but We've seen a little bit with her. We've seen a little bit with him. We've seen that they are both out for their own survival and are willing to lie to do that and make decisions based on a few different things. I like, I don't, even when they're talking to Ellie, they're talking to her and basically saying, we're not good people and we've done things and, you know, we're basically doing this to serve our own needs, which, it, and they say that a few times, like Tess says to Joel, we, this is our best chance of getting our truck. And that is the goal. Um, what, what they do with her after is their own thing. Like there is a lot of that kind of talk. And then Joel is also like, well, we don't know if she's going to turn or not. So let's just take her out now. Like there are discussions, which I, without getting into their background, I think you can kind of see who they are. Um, and you do see that subtle shift. I mean, you definitely see it with Tess. I think it's successful. But I think it's a little bit more subtle. And I actually appreciate that they don't go totally into that backstory. Um, and I especially like that Joel shuts Ellie down in asking him about it. Um, he's like, he'll give her that he's from Houston, but then it's like hard pass on anything else pretty much. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not as bothered by that, but I think we all know where it's going and where it was going to go with these characters. Um, yeah, which is, it makes it hard to kind of evaluate in the moment. Right. Yeah. Um, so we, we end up in the museum where they decide to go through the museum after they look out over the balcony and they see the the rug of uh, infected between them and the state, the Capitol building. Are are we supposed to think, based on that rug scene, that, that they don't like light? Like, is that are they screaming because they're in the sunlight? I'm just, I was trying to figure out if that was a mechanic that, you know, was going to come to their advantage at some point because they you know, are moving around only during the daytime or something like that. But then a bunch of runners come after them in broad daylight so, at the end. So I was, I think, I think it's supposed there. to, I think it's supposed to depend on the type of whatever it is. Um, that's something that like, I don't know, like certain fungi will do. And so that I think is a piece of it, but I don't think that it's all of it. I have a like, feeling it's temperature related also, uh, mm-hmm. since there, that was a, an element of the first cold open about the survival above 94, whatever degrees. Um, and they don't react to flashlights. Right. And, um, yeah. Very true. In the game. They, that's like a, one of the tips. It's like, they will not clickers do not react to light. They react to you being in front of them when they're clicking and movement and sound. So maybe, maybe it's going to be a temperature thing. It'll be the kingdom kingdom all over again. Right. I don't Anyways, know, sorry, but continue. but I also was wondering if it was like maybe it's a stage of where they are in the infection. Like mm-hmm. maybe some of them are more susceptible to the temperature and light changes earlier on. 
um, or maybe they hit this other thing. So I maybe they'll explain that a little bit more. They definitely don't hear though. So, yeah, yeah but know. they definitely did not like when you know when the the kind of clouds were moving over. Mm-hmm. Right. Like every time the sun would land on them, they would all scream and flail around. So I, I I didn't remember that from the game, and I was trying to figure out how it might play to the to the hero's advantage. Right. We'll so. see. So, uh, H.A., you were you were going off on a rant about the, the Boston history. Oh, I was just saying, once again, this is not a museum that exists, which is fine. Again, I guess it's probably <laughs> the closest to the old state house in Boston, though it doesn't look like that. I don't I mean, again, I don't know that they could have done anything other than do sort of this generic thing, but that's probably the closest that it's going to be. Um, so and if you're talking about they're kind of in the Freedom Trail ish area by Fennel Hall, so that probably makes sense. So, um, but anyway, um, this is definitely a Revolutionary War museum. Um, and then there's you get a couple of little flashes. So one is you know the the Independence Hall thing, and so so anyway, just just it's just kind of funny how they're like, oh, it's a generic Revolutionary War museum. Yeah, so, I I really enjoyed the set dressing in here. I've yeah. kind of been enjoying it this whole episode. I feel like the sets always felt really in the place maybe not boston but in the place where they were like even over the free with the free freeway overpasses where you're almost certain there's a green screen i couldn't really see the lines um you know uh, and then when they go into this museum the the fungus on the floor and um it's kind of like aliens where there's people built into the walls there these are bodies like you can kind of yep. see their outlines uh, and sometimes they'll focus or at least show them on the stairs when they're going up the stairs but a lot of the time, it's just like they're kind of shapes um, of of the bodies where they had uh, stopped being clickers or stopped being um, infected. Yeah, and I, I I was trying to figure out sort of what the life cycle is and how you know whether things are sort of active or not. Um, I guess it's with the little network and whatever, so maybe we'll find out more later. But they don't really seem all that concerned about these, much like when we saw in the last building where there was the guy kind of in the wall. Um, so... Anyway, they, they honestly, as soon as Ellie found that fresh body, as soon as they got into the museum, they probably should have turned around and gone a different way. Uh, but they were, you know, Tess is trying to persuade herself that he was attacked outside and came inside and died, yep, even yep, though that's yep. clearly not what's happened was we find out later. Uh, so they're probably just making a series of bad decisions, even though Tess and Joel are our experienced survivors in this outside the, the walls kind of scenario. They're clearly still able to make mistakes and that's what happened here but then they nobody saw the uh, earthquake or whatever like the building collapsing as they as they arrive in the upstairs room uh which alerts the clickers to their location or to something um and it gets into a pretty fraught and dark scene there's been some good behind the scenes um video of how they shot this it was and you know, there's there's an interview with Bella Ramsey saying that I was really questioning my life choices when I was in this room. <laughs> it's pitch black. There's a man on top of me with a terrifying mask. Yeah. Uh, and um, there's a bunch of cast members or already a crew members surrounding me in the in the dark. And I was just, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> it was, so it was. I thought these were really. This was a good chase and and very um very tense. And the clickers, you get to see them finally, and they're very well put together. And I think in the game, if I remember right, this is kind of the first really hard zombie fight you have. Like, so if you've, you fought a lot of Fedra folks and you fought the occasional, like, one off, you know, runner or something. But I remember this as being just like the first place where 
I'm just like so tense. I'm up on the controller, like, you know, I, I'm failing over and over again. Um, and there's a couple of callbacks here to things that uh, felt uh, just extremely true to me to the game. First of all, the building collapse is like just a classic thing. It's like, oh, you've like moved to the next level and you can't go back to the last one. If you, you know, get into trouble is a very classic mechanic from this game. Um, and then also <laughs> the way that uh, Joel kind of sneaks around and sneaks around and sneaks mm. around and is very quiet. And then when things start to go wrong, just kind of starts blasting everywhere. It's exactly what happened to me every single time I was playing one of these levels in the game. You just completely panic and just start mashing you right. know, on buttons. Um, so I, I like that they didn't have him just like, you know, completely dispatch all the zombies with incredible ease. It, it felt like a struggle the same way playing it. Well, like and it's also, I only know this from doing a little bit of the, the research again, again for this episode, but Ellie isn't allowed to have melee weapons, right? Like she, the only thing she's allowed is the knife. So it, they, they do play up how she can't basically take a gun or whatever, because Joel doesn't trust her. Tess and Joel both don't trust her with it. And I so love it, the trope of the kid in the apocalypse asking right. for a gun and all the grown-ups right. saying, no, that's, that's <laughs> right. a good trope. So it's a good trope. And then they, you know, kind of go into that. And so I don't know. I just thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with you, Kyle, that this does feel a lot like a video game sequence, although there were a lot of them, I think, where it was really difficult. <laughs> like there's a sequence before they even get into the or maybe it's after the museum, but they're in like a subway and there's like eight no, not eight, but like five clickers down there and mm. you shoot one of them and they all come at you, right? Like, so that's that, just that mm. mechanic. Here they're facing two of them. I would have in the game been like, no problem. I got this. Hold on. <laughs> Hold my beer. Uh, but there's, uh, this is this is good. Like, they all get split up. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I could tell that Tess was uh, infected as she comes out. Although she does, like on second watch, she does take a few moments there to like look down uh -huh. and she snaps at Joel for questioning yep. whether or not um, Ellie could be the chosen one. Um, but also I would say the clicker makeup is amazing. Yeah. And they're like that whole thing and just how they are moving and their sounds like they're, they're pretty terrifying. And then also, I mean, t Tess and, and Ellie, Ellie was talking about, Oh, are there like mushroom? What did she call them? Something big head things that like act like bats. And so you get to see, you get this payoff here, which, you know, for people who don't know the game, this was like sort of a callback to that, which I thought was kind of cool, but I thought that this whole scene was pretty well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was fantastic and very, very scary. Yeah. Like edge of your edge of your seat the whole time. And, and Ellie's scratched or bitten again. Right. Yeah. She's which is actually not in the game. They, that's a, that's an addition and I think uh, it's that addition. They described why they did this in the podcast. It was to because in the next sequence, they go into a subway and there's a cloud of spores that she doesn't have a mask on for. Mm. And Joel is like, wait, you can breathe in this. And she's like, yeah, I told you this is no no big deal for me. Um, and it also shows the contrast between what happens to Tess. Right. So. Right. And so they're able to hold up their cuts next to each other at the end. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's more of like a Joel persuasion mechanism or getting her to be bitten again. Um, and that works just fine. Uh, we have a, a plank of wood across to uh, from one roof to another, which is a big thing in the game. Constantly having to move planks of wood around to go from <laughs> roof to roof. 
<laughs> looks way more precarious here than it does in the game. <laughs> in the game, you're kind of just like, oh yeah, no problem. But in the in the show, when they cut to the wide shot of her crossing, I was like, oh, that would be terrifying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but she is just very brave and just handles it. Uh, Joel, right as they're going down off of the next roof, they're going down a ladder. He has a is an exchange or like an exchange of looks maybe with him and Ellie. He mm. looks at his watch, his broken watch that Sarah had given him and then goes down the ladder. I don't know what that was, like what choice maybe Pedro Pascal made. Maybe that was direction. Like, look at your watch before you go down. It was, it was yeah. pretty subtle. Uh, maybe he's starting to think of his daughter, if that's what that's supposed to be telling us. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Capital. Mm. It's, uh, it's kind of what you would expect, right? It's it, everything is shot up. The truck is clearly out of commission. Everybody inside is dead. Um, and Tess is freaking out. And on the walk there, it looked like she was walking really fast. Um, like we all, I mean, second watch again, I, I watched this episode a couple times. And so I was like, yeah, she does feel like she just sprained her ankle and she's leading. She's in front. Like she knows she doesn't have much time. So yep. I'm reading into it anyway. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a messed up scene because Tess finally has to, she doesn't really admit it. Ellie gets there first. Same as in the game. That scene kind of plays out very similarly. The difference here is that it's Fedra who shows up and um, Tess holds in the, them in off. The game. Yeah, in the game. Did I say in the show? In the game, the Fedra shows up to arrest them. Craig Mazin is like, why would Fedra be this far out from the QZ? Right. But in the game, I feel like they actually had made it clear that Fedra was that far out constantly, like that they're out in the seat in the streets patrolling. But I, um, I think it's, I think I do prefer it that it's the infected because we're out of Fedra's right. area. Um, well, I, and I think I think that this is, you know, for for Tess, it's a heroic way to kind of go out. And it also gives us a little bit more information. We can see them in action when the little network does activate. Right. Um, so I think that this and it's it's a pretty creepy scene, too. Um I mean, the, yeah, the kiss is. Uh, I so think creepy. a lot of people are talking about that. <laughs> Very upsetting. I feel, like I, I feel like I owe Stuart an apology because uh, last week when we were talking, Stuart, you said something like, "Oh, I love Anna Torvane. Just can't wait to see where you know all the places that that this character of Tess is going to go." And I, and I gave what I what I think could best be described as a snicker, a cackle. It was a cackle, cackle. Kyle. Yeah, <laughs> I knew. I knew based upon like I knew that she wasn't long for the show. I just didn't know if it would be in the second episode but also i was trying not to spoil it for other people that you know might not know that but <laughs> um i think that anna torv is awesome and i think that this made sense and the way she went out totally makes sense and seems in line but the way she talks about this scene is pretty funny <laughs> wow. she, what have you seen her talking about with this scene? uh she was saying like you know i just i like and it's really funny because she does her interviews and she's australian so it's like you know you, you she plays so many characters that are American accented. So it's just kind of funny when you see her with her real accent and she's like, Oh, you know, I thought it was going to play out in a certain way and it just didn't. And it was like, I think it sounded like it was a lot creepier than she was anticipating. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though obviously she's not seen everything cause it's, you know what it is. But um, anyway, a, a good and heroic way for her to go out. Um, the, the lighter flicking in her hand, I think was a really cool mechanism to show yeah. Her losing control, mm-hmm. uh, like she was rapidly trying to light it, and then it got slower. Uh, 
um but she kept doing it like as with the last bits of her willpower because she was clearly succumbing to the infection mm -hmm. uh, i thought that was a really cool uh, i mean a, a friend of mine did ask me this question which was why didn't they just use a grenade <laughs> they had so many grenades right but uh okay sure fine um the lighter eventually worked although the odds of a lighter actually lighting after 30 tries, I feel like is pretty low. It's like trying to start your engine that many times. <laughs> well, I did I did like it because in the game you have um what I would describe as a unlikely number of Molotov cocktails at your disposal. Joel is just constantly tossing Molotov cocktails. And so they obviously, you know, that mechanic would translate pretty poorly here, but they still found a way to have a big old explosion, which I liked. And it made sense given, you know, there would be gasoline there, there would be some some grenades there. Um, it, I do love that prior to the zombies actually arriving, you know, we have this kind of high pitched emotional discussion between Joel and Tess about how he's going to continue forward without her. And there's, I, I just really love the understated way that they play their relationship, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it, there is, a, a both a romantic and a deep kind of like, I guess you would call it a professional, um, relationship there between the two of them and they've they've been through a lot and they've survived a lot and they um the way that, that they communicate during that time is is really heart heartbreaking and also because she's infected it's it's heartbreaking that he can't actually you know uh be a be a presence for her you know he can't right. he can't really say goodbye and so he kind of leaves without being able to like for example give her a hug or anything and then she has this insanely horrifying final embrace from an infected and i love that when the infected first uh run in they ignore her completely yep they're off looking for for joel and and ellie and uh then just one of them you know comes over and decides to kind of make this you know bizarre communication connection with her and and uh it, way more memorable more heroic and also more horrifying way than this all played right. out in the game. I think it's a, a huge improvement over over what was there. Well, of it course, what happens in the game is it's not even on screen. Like you hear right. it as you're running away with Ellie through the rest of the building, which then just translates into a huge shootout with Fedra as you try to escape. Uh, but you 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 hear her sh get shot, kind of, and then you see her over a balustrade that her body's on the floor and the the troops are like walking around the room. So yeah, there's way less impact. Even though she's been a character, she's had lines, we know her, we 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 mourn her, but this was Kyle, I agree. Good. Better. Well, and I also think that just it really hits home because I know people were reacting, lots of people were reacting very upset about this particular kiss, because it is, it's horrific. Um, but I also think that it it absolutely hits home that she would much rather i mean she already knows she's going to sacrifice or try to sacrifice herself so that they can't follow Joel and Ellie but um she knows she's infected and that to her is like the last she does not want that she does not want that existence and so it not that you necessarily needed the kiss to to hit home that it's more palatable to blow yourself up than to sort of go down this road but that is definitely what happens um that you know she's trying desperately and finally gets when the, when the lighter finally lights there's such a relief because you know she's not going to have to deal with this anymore or at least deal with the the repercussions of this whole thing so um as the infection spreads and things like that so i thought it was a very powerful scene and really well done um and you know 
Anatorf, you know, hopefully you'll do some other Boston based shows <laughs> in the future. She, she, might, <laughs> she might show up in, uh, you know, flashbacks or something. There, we Maybe. got more cold opens coming, so we'll see. I'm just really excited for what Nick Offerman's going to bring to the show and all the episodes he's going to be in for the rest of the season. Just going to put well, that out there right now. I don't know if you guys enjoy another HBO original. Uh, White <laughs> Lotus. I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, but White Lotus uh, season one featured, I only remember the character's name is Murray. I can't remember the actor's name, um, but he's uh, Frank in the show. And I'm also very excited for what he's going to bring to it. Cool. Um, Murray? Uh, the actor's name is oh yeah M- Murray Bartlett. That is, so that is his the the actor's name. He he yeah. was spectacular on White Lotus season what, one. So. Who was he in uh, White Lotus season one? He was the main hotel concierge. He was Armand. He was Armand. Yeah. Is he an Australian also? Then he is also an Aussie. Yes. Uh, yeah, he was incredible. I could not. I honestly, I've seen the clips of his character and I do not see the resemblance between <laughs> Armand and this guy. So that's pretty cool right there. Yeah, I agree. Well, I can't wait to see all the seasons and, and episodes that he's in on this show going forward forever because nobody else will ever die. <laughs> uh, the final, final scene of this, uh, you see Ellie and uh, Joel stop and kind of watch the zombies get exploded and not chase them, which is great. But then Joel just kind of like I don't even know if he looks at Ellie before he walks away. And Ellie is left standing there, a child against the backdrop of like a smoking Capitol building uh, left alone by her protector. And it's it's pretty it's a pretty tough shot. I don't know if you this um, if you had any reaction to this, guys. Um, I It is a tough shot. And I mean, again, she definitely had a better rapport with with Tess than she does with him. He they they have conflict already and there is a there's definitely a concerning tension between the two of them um, and they're going off to find, you know, the people that Tess mentioned. So Bill and who was the other person? Don't remember. Um, if, and so, you, you know, he is reluctant in this. He de- you definitely get the sense that he doesn't fully buy in. Um, he's been saying all along, oh, another vaccine adventure. We've heard this before. Um, so there is definitely a reluctance here. And you're not quite sure where this is going to leave them. But they're definitely not in tandem. And there isn't a lot of trust between these two characters at this point. So um, with Tessa's sacrifice, I don't know that he's fully on board. But we will see where it leads him. Yeah, Joel is one of those characters. He's also the tropey kind of character where the the worst thing you could do to him is give him hope again, right? Right. So he's fighting this with all of what he has left. Uh, he doesn't want to believe in a vaccine or hope or a future because everything to him has been like a dark carnival ride since Sarah died, probably. Right. Uh, so yeah, I can I can kind of empathize with that, but also well, he's he, a fourteen year old to take care of, and hmm. also like he has no he has nothing to go back to, you right. know. Like he he's trying to make his way to Tommy because that's you know uh, he and Tess Tommy and Tess are the only people Joel cares about. But his you know um, his life in the uh, the Boston DMZ or whatever it is the, right. the quarantine zone is is completely blown up because yep. his business relationships are dead. The Fireflies have wrecked havoc. Tess is dead. Like he has nothing. He can't go back. He he may be wanted by Fedra, or or likely is wanted by Fedra because he was scanned on his way out and then killed the the guard. So right. he he's really 
you know, he only has <laughs> he only has one path forward now. He he has to just keep keep moving with or without her. Right. Um and yeah, like I think you're totally right about the hope piece because that's something for him that would be a killer for him. Um and he does seem very shocked that Tess has gotten there and Tess is feeling that way because she is obviously very cynical and even says, you know, I didn't you know, this is not something we we could actually find hope. And she comments on it. She says something to him like, can't you just take the good news for once when he says something about um, Ellie being bitten? Um, and we know, obviously, later that it's because she's been bitten. But um, that is uh, definitely going forward. We're going to see a lot more that explored a lot more, I suspect, um, this relationship and his struggle with this concept. Um but you're right. He doesn't have any choice, but I guess he could just leave her there, but he does not do that. So, I mean, thank goodness. Uh, well, we, we don't know. Maybe he did. <laughs> maybe she, maybe in the show, she's going to have to like find him now, uh, which <laughs> maybe, would be messed up. Um, but I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, such a good show. I'm so glad that we can, you know, hash it out and, and get this group therapy session on the, on, on tracks. I don't know that we'll be able to meet again uh, next week. So we might have a couple weeks in between and we might have two episodes to review next time which would be like a four-hour podcast so i don't know if you guys are ready for that <laughs> uh, we could do it that's fine one question before we stop because i think this will be interesting to see how this plays out like what degree of intelligence do you think is in this fungal hive mind because it obviously has you know at least a little bit of a sense of like how to grow and how to pursue and things like that but do you think we're Dealing with kind of a I am legend esque, like true oh. smart Sentience. zombie, or oh. is this more of just so, an instinctive kind of thing? I was trying to figure out whether it was kissing Tess to maybe get information about yeah. the whereabouts of other people, which I don't know that that's what it was doing. And I can't. I I was thinking about this too, Kyle. Is it is it just like they can tell where new potential hosts are? location wise and that kind or are of they targeting ellie specifically because right. you know I, yeah i can't tell so i can I tell you tell that, that neil yeah. Druckmann on that podcast who you know wrote it or whatever craig wrote it he was talking about the kiss was more of a like sacrifice on the part of that fungus uh, agent to try and speed up or you know aid mm. uh anatorv tess's transformation because mm. it would go faster it would be more efficient if he gave of his own uh organic material to her i think was the way that they described it mm. there could there could be something more to it than that um they certainly can retcon that later um but yeah i think i think it's really just about growing and spreading and being more being more fungus okay all right well we will see we will see we will see um <laughs> but anyway always a pleasure um and then Stuart, you want to take us out <laughs> Sure thing, HA. You know it's, I can't uh, do it. I, I just know, know it's I know it's, it's like Podbean. I know it's like Podbean. I just don't know the rest of it. Uh okay, so find all of our all of our recipes. Um all of our <laughs> recipes are also on Podbean on reanimated.podbean.com. All those episodes. And chicken salad sandwich. <laughs> uh, yeah, get that we should make a an Ellie's chicken sandwich. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um definitely and some uh some Joel jerky. Um okay, but yeah, and also send us an email at reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. And you know what? I'm yeah, Twitter at reanimatedpcast. It's it's there. We can talk there too. That's fine. 
So uh, hopefully y'all enjoyed it. Let us let us know what you think. Get at us with your questions and comments, and uh, we will be happy to weave you into this therapy session. Rip Tess. And until next time, ciao. Bye. Catch on the flip side. Nice, Kyle. Flawless. <laughs> <laughs>